New York State is banning gas stoves. We warned you this was going to happen. It's only the beginning. We'll tell you all the details coming up. Netflix is insisting that Cleopatra was black. I mean, even though we know she was white, we know it's a historical fact that Cleopatra was white, but Netflix has cast her black. They're telling us they know Cleopatra was really black. The woke leftists would never let the facts get in the way. So that's coming up. Kareem Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary, she says it's perfectly normal for Joe Biden to be given questions in advance to literally be handed a list of questions before a press conference you cannot make this stuff up i mean can you imagine imagine if trump got a list of reporters questions in advance and the name of the reporter told who to call on which order a picture of the reporter plus we've got the latest on the debt ceiling debate the biden administration wants all military vehicles to be electric over the next seven years by 2030 the biden energy department is saying that all military vehicles should go electric. They want literally the entire military fleet, including tanks, Hummers, to be electric powered. And and in response, I mean, it it's nuts. It's ludicrous, and it would it be devastating to our military. Obviously, uh, Ted Cruz actually put out a tweet in response to this, saying, "Quote: It would be really convenient if the Russians and the Chinese communists would install charging stations every hundred miles for the Biden EV tanks, for the Biden electronic electric vehicle tanks." Hey, listen, the military is not weak enough. We've got to make tanks out of a Toyota Prius. We've got to put charging stations all over the desert. I mean, they're nuts. They're just totally nuts. Meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis, and I like Governor Ron DeSantis, but, you know, we've got to be fair here. DeSantis is trying to take credit for the embassy move, the move of the embassy, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, Ron DeSantis actually is taking credit for that. Now, am I mistaken? Wasn't it Trump? Who moved the embassy? I believe that, that, that you know, DeSantis at the time was con- – now he's governor of Florida. At the time, he was a congressman. And look, I'm pretty sure that members of Congress are not authorized to move the U.S. embassy. I'm pretty sure that's something only the executive branch can do. That's coming up. All right, so Netflix has put out a new movie. They're calling – it's called Queen Cleopatra, and they have decided to cast Cleopatra as black. It's unbelievable. This is such racism. Here's the problem. Cleopatra was white. Um, but Netflix, who are run by a bunch of woke racists, they're rewriting history because they want historic figures to be black who are really white. You can't make this stuff up. It, it's not up for debate. There are images. There are sculptures of Cleopatra. And they have she has a she has a race. She has a color. And that they, they, they conf- the historical artifact confirmed that she was white. And by the way, she had European facial features, not African facial features, which is, again, how Netflix is portraying her. By the way, if she were black and they were white, I would be equally outraged. It's not like I'm upset because how dare you portray Cleopatra as black. She was white. You have no right to pretend that she was black. But like, let's say we're the other way around, right? Let's say she were really black and they portrayed her as white. You're rewriting history. I would not be happy. Whatever their agenda would be, But my issue is historical accuracy. It's not about, well, we got to protect the whites. We have to make sure that they don't portray her as a black because, you know, we don't want people who are historic figures to be portrayed as black. That's not my issue. I don't want that blacks to be portrayed as whites. I don't want whites to be portrayed as blacks. If they they do something about Gandhi, okay, and they turn Gandhi into like a white European instead of an Indian— I would not be very happy. Obviously, that would kind of take away from the entire message of Gandhi. For those of you who know the history, and he, you know, he fought literally for the independence of his people, of Indians from, from Britain. But it's racism. The Egyptian Antiquities Ministry published a lengthy statement. 
of experts who agree unanimously based on proof, based on statues of Cleopatra, other images. Uh, they say Cleopatra was white. It's confirmed. It's not up for debate. And um, they say that depicting her as black is a fabrication of Egyptian history. That is literally from the Egyptian Antiquities Council. And, and what what is next, by the way? Are they going to make Julius Caesar black? Are they going to make Socrates black? What about Winston Churchill? Is Are they going to turn Winston Churchill black? And, and by the way, notice that they don't do this to Attila the Hun, okay? Somehow they're not making Ivan the Terrible and Attila the Hun. They're not making them black, okay? It's only the good guys that they want to make black. Now, I want to talk about Biden's age for a minute. And a little bit unexpected here. I don't actually do not like the fact that the media is so focused on the age of Joe Biden. Is his age an issue? Is there going to be an issue of dementia? Is he capable of? I mean, by the way, if he's ele- elected, he will become, you know, he will be sworn in for his second term at age 82. And he, his second term, when his second term ends, he will be 86. Just picture, let's even assume that cognitively, Everything was in order and he didn't have the issues that we clearly see he has every time he's in front of a television camera. I would still just think of your average and I'm not saying anything negative or demeaning or diminishing, I hope, about octogenarians and people that age. But the question really is, that's already past a person's prime. Even the person in the best of health, is that somebody who you want running the country? I don't think it's a knock on them. I don't think it, I'm, you know, it's demeaning to say that maybe that's not the ideal scenario, Democrat or Republican, but especially in the case of Biden, where clearly there's a, there's such such massive decline in protecting him and making sure that this doesn't get out. You know, and again, I never, ever like to get into the personal side of things. I really try to avoid it. However, it's important here because we're discussing whether or not he's fit. He's not even fit for a first term. It's discussing whether or not he's fit for a second term. But then none of that's the issue. What I'm trying to say is that by the media, I actually think this is the media is trying to really gaslight us here. The New York Times and the other mainstream media outlets who are turning around on Joe Biden and saying, hey, listen, maybe his age is a factor. Maybe he's too old. They're missing the point. They're totally missing the point. If Biden were 37 years old and looked like an Olympian, he's still a total disaster. His pre- the Biden presidency is catastrophic. It's a total disaster. So by making this about age, what are they implying? Focusing about age, they're implying, well, Biden, he's really done an adequate job. He's done an okay job and he'd be electable, except he's already 80. He's going to be 82 by the next election. So his age is the problem. Like, in other words, his age is not the problem. His age is a problem. His age is one of many, many problems. But the big problem is that he has driven this country into the ground his, his track record is a disaster. He's the worst president in history. Biden makes Jimmy Carter look like Winston Churchill in terms of capability. So and, you know, and in terms of track record. So and now he's telling us he wants to finish the job. Oh, my gosh, please do not finish the job. The last thing I could ever want is for Biden to finish the job. So it's not about his age. OK, the yes, the age factor is relevant because as bad as Biden is, it could be even worse. That's the frightening part. But by the fact that the media is trying to make this all about his age, I actually think they're gaslighting us. And they want people to say to themselves, age, okay, look, people are living longer these days. You know, I could deal with age. And they're trying to distract people from the real narrative here, which is that he's a complete disaster. A caller asked, the caller made the following point. I said, look, nobody is indispensable. I said, nobody is um, invulnerable. You know, nobody, no, there's nobody who could not potentially be brought down. Yeah, I said if Tucker Carlson could be fired, then even despite his ratings being through the roof, 
then pretty much anyone is vulnerable. And if the left targets you and they make you a target and they decide that you're done, then you could be done, you know, because basically there's nobody invincible to the power of the establishment to bring people down who they feel are a threat, right? That's what I said about Tucker Carlson. So Cola said, well, what about Trump? Look how much they Trump is the one person who seems to be invulnerable, who just seems to be cannot be brought down no matter how hard they try with the Russia hoax, with two impeachments, with January 6th, obviously, now the indictment and that whatever they do, that Trump is like he cannot be brought down. And it's a great point. And that's correct, at least as of now. You know, who knows? But he literally withstood things that anybody would have thought are impossible to withstand and that would have brought any virtually anybody else down. And I want to make a very important point here, which is the call that was touching on, which is the difference between Trump and Tucker Carlson or Trump and almost anybody else, is that Trump is self-made. If you're self-made and your following is organic, what I mean by that is Trump has millions and millions and tens of millions. Look at look at him at rallies, right? He, he attracts these massive crowds at rallies that nobody on any side, it's unheard of to have even a fraction of the crowds that Trump has at a, at, a, at a rally in the middle of Oklahoma, like in the middle of nowhere, and he'll just have hordes of people, tens of thousands of people, and there's people literally in sleeping bags outside waiting for two days just to get in, right, just to, just to try to get a spare ticket. So why is that? Because Trump's following, Trump's support, Trump's success, it doesn't come from the media. It doesn't come from somebody on the outside who's giving it to him. It's, 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 a, it's a direct connection, a direct link that he has, and he used social media to to build a lot of this up, but it's a direct connection that he has with the people. So there's nothing, that support that he has from millions and millions of adoring fans, there's nothing that could get in the way of that, because how are they going to make these people not adore him? You, you can't, that's the one thing they cannot control is the will of the people. So, and you know, he used to say this, Rush Limbaugh used to say this, Rush Limbaugh, he would talk about a lot of establishment candidates, he would talk about McCain, what happened was John McCain the New York Times actually supported John McCain to be the nominee because they liked him for a Republican primary because they liked him because he was moderate. Then as soon as John McCain became the nominee in 2008, the Times literally turned on him. They wrote this whole vicious hit piece on him right after he was chosen because that's what the New York Times does. They make you, then they tear you down. Same thing happened with Mitt Romney. So when when, when you're the establishment candidate, the um, you're built by you're set you're set up by the media or by the party, and you're set up for failure because you're, Rush Limbaugh said that, said it as follows. He said. You're only as strong as whoever created you. So if you were created by the media, then the media turns on you one day and takes you down, and there's nothing you could do because they're the ones who built you up in the first place. Very, very fundamental point. And and Tucker Carlson, even though yeah, he does have a direct connection, and like he's he's putting up he's putting up Twitter videos, putting up videos on Twitter that are getting like millions and millions of views, more views than he actually got on Fox News. And he's beating Fox News in the ratings, basically. You know, the few tweets that he has put out with videos, selfies, self-made videos that, that he's made in basically his basement. And so so he is self-made in that sense. And that's why he's going to obviously be able to have a resurgence and to get out there whatever he chooses, whether he goes on Newsmax TV or whether he does his own thing like Bill O'Reilly and you know has his own podcast that he brings directly to the people. So he is, in that sense, he hasn't been taken down. But he, this was a big blow to him, the getting fired by Fox News. That's because... Fox News helped create what Tucker Carlson was. That's the difference between Tucker Carlson and Trump. Just so you know, uh, the um, the Babylon Bee, the Babylon Bee had this headline. After Tucker Carlson, he posted a video a couple of days after he was fired, a short video on Twitter, basically, you know, hinting that he's going to be back. 
uh, at some point, and it got millions and millions of views and way more than Fox News got that same evening. And the, like the Babylon Bee had a headline, something like, unemployed man makes selfie video in basement, which beat what puts on Twitter, which beats Fox News in the rating. The unemployed guy puts out self-made vi- selfie video made in own basement, beats Fox News in ratings, which obviously is satirical, satirical, but, you know, tells you a lot uh, about Tucker Carlson and the massive, massive following that he has. All right, Corinne Jean-Pierre said it's perfectly normal for the president to be given questions in advance from reporters uh, but she insisted that, that 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 it didn't happen. She at the same time she insisted that it didn't happen at last week's press conference. She said, "But it it would be perfectly normal if it did happen." And it's a lie. Her claim that it did not happen is a lie because there's literally a picture of Biden holding a cheat sheet. The cheat sheet has the name of a reporter, a picture of the reporter, and the question she was going to ask is written on the cheat sheet. There's a picture of this. Now I want to be clear. Full disclosure. It was not the exact same question that she did ask. That that reporter, Biden, did call on that reporter, just as he was instructed to do by the cheat sheet. Uh, she asked a question. The que- she, she reworded the question, and she kind of asked it differently. But it was essentially the question was the same topic, the same theme, and the same answer worked for both. So we know that Biden had a pre-scripted answer. The same answer worked for both, but she did change the question. So I want to be very clear. Essentially, the question was, the question on the card said, how are you squaring your domestic priorities, like reshoring semiconductor manufacturing with alliance-based foreign policy? So they were both the same topic. The question that she ultimately asked, I'm not going to read it to you. It's a more detailed and involved question. I'm not sure if Biden even heard the question or understood the question, because again, he's reading from his cheat sheet. But the topic was, How's Biden balancing his domestic China policies regarding chip manufacturing while he's trying to work with U.S. allies like South Korea? And I believe it was a joint press conference. The thing, the, the press conference we're discussing was a joint press conference with, that Biden held with the head of South Korea. But again, the issue is Biden has a cheat sheet. They're showing him the name of the reporter, the picture of the reporter, what order he should call on th- that reporter in the questions and literally a scripted answer, okay? And of course, now these news outlets are denying, they're saying, no, we never ever feed Biden the questions in advance, and Kareem Jean-Pierre is is denying it, and we know that it's true, and now you have, I guarantee you, you have China, you have Putin in Russia, you have Iran, they are watching this stuff, because trust me, they keep a very close eye on the president, on his press conferences, on our government, on our media, they're laughing at us, they are giving each other high fives. They are plotting a world takeover. They're thinking, wow, this Biden administration, it is such a train wreck. This United States, they are weaker than we could have ever imagined. And and they're waiting, waiting to pounce. What I believe I saw now, there's another spy balloon, right? There's a spy balloon, Chinese spy balloon now over Hawaii. Don't worry, the the military's tracking it. Okay, I'm sure they'll wait until it's done spying. And then I'm sure they'll, the second it's done spying, I'm sure the military will shoot it down. But anyway, Karine Jean-Pierre, she said it's entirely normal for Biden to be holding a cheat sheet with advanced knowledge, essentially. She said, quote, we do not have specific questions in advance, not something we do. Like I said, that's a lie. And uh, by the way, do you know that Karine Jean-Pierre, her own press briefings are pre-scripted prior to the briefing? This is the New York Post. The New York Post says that before her press brief, and by the way, her press briefings, they are cringeworthy. Anytime I try very hard not to watch. But anytime I see a clip of Corinne Jean-Pierre trying to answer a question, 
it's just cringeworthy. She doesn't understand the question. She certainly her answers are they're generic, they're 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 confusing. She's confused. They're you know she, like and she she just doesn't have she doesn't have any grasp over what she's talking about. I mean, they literally like let's be honest. And there are very very intelligent African Americans out there. There are very intelligent um, ladies out there, females out there. But they chose her. Because of her race, because of her gender, we know that's how Biden chooses important positions. He fills them with the people who are the right race and the right gender. He did it with Kamala. He did it with what Ketanji, Ketanji Brown Jackson. He's done it again and again. And there's no question that's why Kareem Jean-Pierre got the job. And it shows every time you try to watch her answer a question and you just you cringe. It's like you feel, you almost feel sorry for her. But it turns out that they canvas the reporters. She has an aide. Who, this is I'm literally quoting the New York Post here. Karine Jean-Pierre's aide canvases. She goes to the reporters before the press briefing and asks them to share the questions they're planning to ask. And um, by the way, the press secretary refuses to call on reporters who don't share their who say, no, I'm not giving you my question ahead of time. I'm not going to let you cheat. All right. So the latest on the debt ceiling debate, Biden says he's going to vi- uh, veto any bill that basically cuts spending. It's just amazing. It's just amazing how the Republicans here are doing the right thing. The Republicans are saying, we are not going to just give you a blank check. We're not going to let you just keep borrowing trillions of dollars. There's got to be some fiscal responsibility over here. We, At a certain point, we've got to stop spending, out-of-control spending, when we can and, and we just keep borrowing because we cannot afford to pay the, 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 the costs of all these crazy programs, right? So that's the right move there. And Biden says, how dare you do that? How can you do that? How, how, are you, how can you throw the American people off a cliff that way? How can you default and try to make it like the Republicans are the bad guys? Well, listen to this. Democrat Congresswoman Katie Porter. OK, she's a California Democrat. Here's what she said. She's trying to, to, to bash Republicans. She was on MSNBC. She said, quote, imagine if your spouse said we need to eat half as much food as we did last year or else I will stop paying the mortgage. You would likely end up hungry and homeless. That is the risk that Kevin McCarthy is taking by refusing to pay our bills unless we make draconian spending cuts. Okay, this is exactly the talking point they're using. And the argument is so absurd. Think about the the twisted logic over here. And I'll I'll read you. Ben Shapiro actually responded to this. He tweeted about this. I'll read you that in a second. But again, I'm going to repeat Katie Porter, Democrat congresswoman. She said, quote, imagine if your spouse said, again, she's talking about Kevin McCarthy saying that, we, 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 we're $31 trillion in debt. I'm not letting you borrow another trillion dollars unless you agree to cut some of the spending, which got us into this mess in the first place. OK, the responsible thing to do. And by the way, there's so much wasteful spending. There are billions, hundreds of billions, probably trillions of dollars that we're wasting. OK, so here's what she said. She said, imagine if your spouse said we need to eat half as much food as we did last year or I'm going to stop paying the mortgage. You would likely end up hungry and, and homeless. McCarthy is refusing to pay our bills unless we make draconian spending cuts. By the way, it's not draconian spending cuts to say you've got to, you know, to, to say, number one, uh, the, the, the COVID relief money that has not been spent, we got to take that back. And we cannot forgive student loans. OK, that's not a draconian spending cut saying we can't forgive billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in student loans. It's not a draconian spending cut to say that able-bodied men don't get Medicaid unless they're working, okay, or at least they're, or at least they're looking for a job or, or at least volunteering. If you volunteer at a charity organization, you'll qualify. That qualifies as work, and you'll get the Medicaid or the food stamps. But we're giving these people food stamps. They're perfectly capable of working, and we're not even making them volunteer a few hours a week in order to earn the food stamps and the Medicaid. That's not draconian. But here's what Ben Shapiro said. He said, quote, 
Imagine if your spouse said that you must continue to spend so much money that your great-grandchildren will be bankrupt, end quote. That's Ben Shapiro's tweet. And think of the twisted logic, okay? Your spouse tells you, listen, we can't pay the mortgage. I can't afford to pay the mortgage, so we need to eat half as much food as we did last year. Oh, what an evil spouse. Uh, you, you're not affording the mortgage, right? It, by the way, it's more like a drug. It's more like the they're, they're addicted to spending in Washington as opposed to paying the mortgage. They're not paying the mortgage, okay? You don't need $5 trillion a year to pay the mortgage. They're paying everybody's mortgage. They're using our tax dollars to pay the mortgage. They're borrowing from China to pay the mortgage. It's not the mortgage. They're paying for everybody's food. They're paying for everybody's programs. They're paying for arts, and they're paying for NPR, for National Public Radio. And I mean, they're, they're paying for museums, and they're, they're paying for vi- viruses to be developed in China and in Sudan, like they're paying trillions and trillions of dollars. You know, Rand Paul comes out with the report every year and we read it to you. So they're not paying the mortgage, but that's not the point. The twisted logic is we cannot afford. What do you do? We cannot afford to pay the mortgage. So we have to cut grocery spending. We have to cut other luxuries. That's that's how it goes. If you cannot afford to pay the bills. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you know, we can't eat as much food. We have to eat half as much. Like, that's not the point. The point is you can't just keep spending. It's like she's totally missing. Her logic is so absurd. Like, oh, yeah, so let's just keep paying the mortgage. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to borrow from somebody else and pay the mortgage. Well, and when does it end? Well, we'll just keep borrowing. We'll, we'll just keep paying off our debts and just borrowing. That's a Ponzi scheme. Okay, so that's what she's describing. She's saying it's evil for you to say, listen, we've got to be a little bit responsible here. We've got to cut spending because otherwise we're going to end up bankrupt. We're literally going to end up. Our, our, our grandchildren are literally going to be bankrupt, as Ben Shapiro said. All right. Ron DeSantis is taking credit for the embassy move. He says that he was the one who worked to cajole the former president, he didn't name Trump by name, but he said he he worked to cajole. And remember, Trump kind of stalled. I actually called out Trump. This is going back, what, to 2017, probably, when I assume Trump made that move. But the embassy move, he actually stalled a little bit the first few months, and he, got, he was under intense pressure. Trump was under intense pressure. You remember what happened? You remember when we read you the headlines at the time? The New York Times said something like, Trump is stubbornly and rigidly refusing to back down from his campaign promise to move the embassy to Jerusalem. They were making it as though, like, Trump was doing something wrong. Remember, Clinton promised to move the embassy. It's, it was written into law, okay? The law was that, that unless the president signed some kind of deferral, the law was passed in 1995 by Congress to move the embassy to Jerusalem, but the president had the right to defer. Clinton promised that he would move the embassy, campaign promise, broke his promise, never happened. Bush promised, Bush George W. Bush pledged to move the embassy, refused to do it, did not keep his promise. Obama pledged to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Again, um, in line with the law, the U.S. congressional law, which said to move the embassy, Obama promised, broke his promise. And Trump made the same promise. And Trump said, I don't break my campaign promises. And he got flack as though like he were doing something wrong by not breaking his campaign promise. It's literally it's just it's nuts. It's ludicrous. Anyway, so but but he did stall at one point. Again, I don't think he stalled. I think he was just working out the details. But the point is that DeSantis says that he was the one who cajoled Trump and basically convinced Trump to do it. Now, look, we have no idea. I'm sure that DeSantis called Trump and said, hey, I think you should move the embassy. I give DeSantis a lot of credit for that. But here's the question. It was Trump's signature move. And Trump was the one that got slammed. I mean, Trump, he was blessed. They ripped him to shreds when he moved the embassy. I don't know if you remember that. Now, of course, in retrospect, a bunch of other countries have followed suit, and it turns out that it was a 
a great move, an amazing move, and it really moved the needle. It really put Israel in so much of a better spot from a negotiating standpoint, so, just a much stronger spot, so much more leverage now that everyone pretty much recognizes Jerusalem as the capital is undeniable, which it already was, but this made it official. And I don't remember when Trump got slammed, I don't remember Ron DeSantis getting up and telling the New York Times saying, listen, don't blame Trump, blame me, because I'm the one who convinced Trump. I don't remember DeSantis saying, I don't think you guys should slam Trump, I think you should blame me. But that's not, look, and that's not my issue, and I appreciate, I'm sure DeSantis helped. Bottom line, it's Trump's move, it's not DeSantis's move, so... I, my my issue is more the optics of it. I don't think I, I like Ron DeSantis. I want to be so clear here. I'm going to make fun when I see things. You know me. I, I, I'm a satire person. So when Trump does things, when others do things, Republicans, Democrats, obviously we make fun of the Democrats the most. The Democrats deserve to be made fun of. We we criticize the Democrats for a very simple reason, because they literally give us endless things to criticize them about. They're evil. They are evil people, and and they're evil and they're mentally ill. And the Republicans are the good guys, you know, so that's just how it works. But when I see Republicans doing things that I find a little bit bizarre, yeah, I may take the opportunity. You know, you can't blame me. And especially I see how Trump kind of messes with the heads of his opponents. So it's going to be very hard for me to resist at least pointing it out. So in this case with DeSantis, I just don't think that too many people are just going to get like awed by that argument and say, oh, wow, DeSantis, I give him credit for the embassy move. All right, listen. I'm going to become a DeSantis follower now. I don't think DeSantis is gaining any votes that way. That's kind of my issue is, you know, there are so many things that DeSantis can take credit for. He fired that Soros DA in Florida. Obviously, he's at war with Disney. He just signed, you know, the abortion bill, which, again, in the general election, that could hurt him, the, the, the ban on abortion after six weeks. But it certainly helps him a lot in the Republican primaries. So take credit for all of that stuff. But taking credit for, for like, Trump's signature move, I just don't think— that those are the optics that are really going to benefit Ron DeSantis. That's my point. But I, I, I want to say at the same time, that was huge, the embassy move. And I'm sure DeSantis's influence, I'm, I'm sure that had an impact on Trump's decision. So I do really appreciate and, and, and uh, I am very grateful that DeSantis did that. Um, Governor Kathy Hochul banning gas stoves. Number one, why are they banning gas stoves? We told you about this. This is the first. New York has become the first state, but trust me, others will follow suit. And Biden is is considering the same move federally, on a federal level. They're saying that it's unhealthy, but there really is no clinical evidence that it's unhealthy. They're making that up. And the reason is, the real reason they're banning gas stoves is because they want to phase out fossil fuels, is because of their climate agenda, their AOC, Green New Deal agenda. This is Kathy Hochul and the New York State Legislature have come have agreed on this law that will make New York the first state in the country to ban natural gas in most new buildings. OK, according to this law, it's going to require new buildings to be all electric, like I said, as part of an effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions throughout New York State and eventually throughout the country. Uh, the exact details have not been released, but it's believed that the ban will go into effect in 2026 for most new buildings under seven stories. And then if for taller buildings, it'll go into effect in 2029. They did this to light bulbs. They did this to shower heads. They banned plastic bags. If it if it helps our quality of life, OK, if it's if it's something that we find comfortable, enjoyable, beneficial, the Democrats take it away. That is their policy. That is their platform. They want to intrude on our lives. They make all sorts of excuses. They come up with health reasons, climate, environment, other reasons. They take away our money. They want us to live with discomfort. This is how the Democrats control 
our society. This is how they keep us beholden to them. This is how they keep people miserable. They, 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 they manufacture these crises because then they can use the crisis as an excuse to redistribute wealth, to ban things, to make our lives miserable. And yet, like all these voters keep electing them in New York State. They keep electing people like Hochul and Governor Cuomo and, the, and these Democrats in the legislature. And then they go and they make their lives even more miserable. It just made what are these? They're like Democrat voters are like gluttons for punishment. Obviously, I'm not talking about the ones. Yes, some of them are doing it because they want the wealth redistributed. They want to shoplift or they want, you know, or they're illegals or they want millions of dollars in in free in free lunches and free government programs. Yeah, I get that. But there's a lot of wealthy Democrats out there that continue to vote Democrat. Makes no sense. Uh, Now Democrats want to ban lawn mowers and leaf blowers. Yeah, I, I kid you not. You can't make it up. USA Today. This is Monday today, the day I'm recording this. Monday's USA Today. Environmentalists say that a commercial gas leaf blower, these are, you know, the gasoline-powered leaf blowers, like you'll see the landscapers use, using it for one hour produces emissions equal to driving a car from Denver to Los Angeles. Um, There already are bans or limits on leaf blowers and lawnmowers in several states, California, the city of Burlington, Vermont, and Washington, D.C. But don't worry, I'm sure New York will catch up with that very soon. That you know, If they hear there's something good to ban, they'll ban it, right? Now, here's how woke the military is and how woke the Biden administration is. Biden Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, she says that she supports requiring the military to adopt an all-electric vehicle fleet by 2030. Now, again, the military hasn't officially signed off on this, so I guess it doesn't prove that the military is woke. We know the military is woke, um, but they're talking about an all-electric military fleet. Think about how messed up this is. <clears throat> you know, then they wonder the Afghanistan pullout was – I mean the, 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 because this is their agenda. They're not making military decisions based on what's best for the national defense of the country. It's based on their radical leftist woke agenda. Okay, the Afghanistan pullout was a debacle. We have this 21-year-old National Guardsman with that, with, you know, leaking nuclear secrets that he never should have had access to in the first place. The military is not able to shoot down this Chinese spy balloon that's literally floating right in front of their eyes because they're worried about climate, they're worried about electric vehicles, vaccines, they're worried about gender issues, and no interest in protecting our country. Um, what else is going on over here? Uh, according to the Washington Examiner, American scientific journals and other Western medical journals helped China cover up its massive negligence on COVID and probably more than negligence, but at least negligence. It turns out that scientific journals um, were complicit with China. We know about the WHO. We know about the, um, you know, the media in the United States that for years refused to admit that COVID leaked out of a Chinese lab. But it turns out that Scientific journals were actually silenced. China actually manipulated and pressured these scientific journals. Scientific journals, apparently, they don't want to get shut out of of, of China. They actually, China basically told them, listen, we're not our universities and our clinics and Chinese society. We're not going, to, we're going to ban you. We're going to ban any scientific journal that um, publishes anything negative about China's role in spreading COVID. And they caved in. These scientific journals, they literally are complicit in helping China cover up its role in COVID, so according to the Washington Examiner. And finally, another bombshell here. Whistleblower says the Biden administration is an accomplice to massive child trafficking at the southern, at the Mexican border. 
Um, it, it seems that the number of unaccompanied minors at the border has exploded since Biden has become president. Biden has lost track. Here's where it gets really frightening. And by the way, this is tragic. This is like so depressing. You know, it's heartbreaking because Biden, the Biden administration has lost track of nearly 100,000 unaccompanied minors. And they're, they're literally being trafficked here by these coyotes brought into the United States and they're turned in. They make them into slave laborers, these these children. So Biden, the one who's supposed to be Mr. Compassion. Right? I remember when they gave Trump a hard time and he separated. He did it for a couple of weeks. Then. Then he retracted the policy and he was separating parents from children and he had no choice because they use it as an excuse. These illegals, they bring children across the border and they're kidnapped. They're, they, they kidnap these kids or sometimes they buy these children from their families, which is horrific but true. And they pretend that it's their child and it's not really their child. They use it as a trick to get across the border. But either way, that's not the point. Now you have these unaccompanied minors coming across the border and Biden has lost track of nearly 100,000 unaccompanied minors. And a whistleblower has now is now exposing this. And and I'm not exaggerating. They become slave laborers. This is a Fox News story. The whistleblower has told Congress that the U.S. government is a middleman in a multi-billion dollar child trafficking operation. The numbers are shocking. According to Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, Customs Border Protection, the number of unaccompanied children who arrive at the border has exploded. In 2020, it was 33,000. 2021 is 146,000 and 152,000. In 2022, when when child migrants are encountered at the border, they're transferred into the custody of Health and Human Services and they're united with a sponsor. So um, and now there's been this explosive growth in child labor in the United States um, and officials have been unable to make contact with over 85,000 child migrants. So you have Tara Rodas, uh, Health and Human Services whistleblower, HHS whistleblower who used to be with the inspector general's office. She testified in Congress that kids are being tortured. She said, quote, I thought I was going to help place children in loving homes. Instead, I discovered children are being trafficked through a sophisticated network that begins with being recruited in their home country, smuggled to the U.S. border, ends when a child is delivered to a sponsor. Some sponsors are criminals and traffickers. I'm quoting here members of transnational criminal organizations. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income, which is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking, whether intentional or not. It can be argued that the U.S. government has become the middleman in a large scale, multi-billion dollar child trafficking operation. It's horrific. It is unspeakable. It's horrific. And if and if a Republican were in charge and this were happening, you bet I would be speaking out against the Republican because what's right is right. But it doesn't happen under Republicans because Republicans actually protect these children. And and yet this is totally being ignored by the mainstream media. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.